New Year's Eve 2019, almost 20. Where would you rather be than the EIA, the Erie Insurance Arena? What a beautiful city. I didn't expect the snow that's here, but uh, I took the drive down myself today and ran into a bit of snow as we got closer to Pennsylvania and obviously around Buffalo because it always snows in Buffalo. Uh, but here we are, New Year's Eve. I, I, I like this better than a New Year's Day game. Wes Wolf, who has been pointed out on this podcast being the best-dressed coach in the entire league. No offense to the rest, but he's setting the bar. He may have jumped the shark tonight. 100% jumped the shark. we got to talk to him about some, this. It's, it's, something's wrong. I love it. The velvet <laughs> shoes, no socks, black dress pants, tight fitted, and then and it, like, what do you call it? Like a bedazzled jacket with a hat, cover bun. He looked slick. He said the hat wasn't going to make its appearance on the bench tonight, which I'm a little upset about, but full board tucks for West Wolf, and everybody should be taking a look and up in their game because dude looks sharp. Leave it to you to notice how tight the pants were. I offered to take up a collection, start a pool to keep the hat on the bench for the game. He said, you might have to raise enough to pay my second half salary. Point made. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. This is our trade deadline special, Popper, the final episode of this podcast before January the 10th. In fact, our next episode will be out on trade deadline day. So this is our last chance to kind of survey the landscape. And we're going to, by the way, a little later on in this episode, hear from a general manager who has not been shy about loading up his team when he saw fit. He says he thinks it will be an active trade deadline overall as you gaze ahead at the week ahead what are you seeing fall into place in this Ontario Hockey League I have no idea like <laughs> let's be let's call a spade a spade there it is a seller's market for sure um, and I think the seller's market got even um, more lucrative with Jan Unique going down at the World Juniors. Now, you know, I don't know if they were going to move him. There was talk about him and his name being tossed around as well uh, with his teammate Arthur Kaliev. I don't know what Hamilton was going to do, but if he was on the market, now not, it kind of forces their hand a little bit almost, I think, to move Arthur Kaliev, even if they didn't want to. Um, they, I, I think Jan Unique they didn't expect back, so um, he was going to move pro, so without being able to move him they're probably looking for some assets and the best way to do that might be Arthur Kaliev obviously Oshawa is going to tinker with their lineup I don't think it's going to be a full board uh, fire sale just because they're probably going to go for it next year so I would expect to see Saren Noel moved Um, that's a big piece and then who knows what Joey Burke is going to do in Niagara with Akil Thomas and even Yvonne Lodnia uh, former Erie Otters where we stand right now Uh, when you look at the west I, I honestly don't know. Guelph's that giant question mark, aren't they? Like, do you're leading the division as we speak? Can you sell to your fans that you're going to trade your captain and his co-partner on, on his line, Pavel Gogolev? Can you trade Cam Hillis and Pavel Gogolev? Fedor Gordiev, I'd imagine, will be on the move, and I, I can't envision them moving Nico Dawes. I think you hold on to him. And you ride Nico Dawes into the first, and hopefully for them, second round of the playoffs to give some of your young guys some experience. And then you move them next year. I don't know what George is going to do. It's going to be a tough sell if you're in that position. But you look at the bottom teams in the West, and it's just so tight. Are they really willing to make a move in conference? And those bottom teams in the West may not have the assets that other teams are needed. It's really, uh, you know, three, maybe four guys around the league that everyone's talking about, and who's going to get them? 
This is the time of the year for rumors. So I will stress that it's just that and not a rumor I put a whole lot of stock in. But on the Nico Dawes front, and I was with you, and I think Guelph was one of the most intriguing teams. The second most intriguing team at this deadline to me is the Guelph Storm. But if you don't move Nico Dawes now and you expect to move him next year, are you not selling him then low? Because the market changes dramatically by next year. If you move Nico Dawes next week, you are moving him at the absolute peak of his value. I'm not saying he's going to. I'm just saying that one of the more recent rumors I heard is that something like that might just happen. And I thought to myself, well, why would you? Well, because next year, Nico Dawes doesn't have the same value as he does right now. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that then you're not betting on Nico Dawes to be good next year. And really, I, I think Nico showed us in this offseason that he's willing to bet on himself. I think probably two weeks ago was at Nico Dawes' high, not maybe now when he comes back from World Juniors, regardless of what happened over there. But um, I, it would be very interesting because I think if you look at the teams that might like Nico Dawes, Sudbury certainly stands out. But I'm thinking right down the 401, the London Knights are going to come a-calling. And are they willing to pay the price that George is going to ask? Because you know, if you were going to get the London Knights to trade with the Guelph Storm, that price is going to be steep. See, and I, so I think London is also a very intriguing team. But along with the Guelph Storm, second most intriguing, I think the most intriguing team to me at this deadline is the Ottawa 67s. They are running roughshod through this league. They were two wins away from a championship last year. You know, you know they want to go out and do it again. But I look at that lineup, and admittedly, I don't get to see it as much in the East. I'm just following box scores like so many others. But where are the holes? What do you really need to add to that lineup? Or do you go out if you're James Boyd and do what so many other GMs have done of late, most recently, of course, last year with George Burnett, and you just go and get everybody to make sure that there is not a single hole to be found in your lineup? I just don't know what you do. If you tinker at all or you just ride with what you got because you've got terrific goaltending, you've got great defense, you've got a potent offense. I think Ottawa, to me, is the most intriguing team at this deadline, followed closely by Guelph because... Nobody expected this. It's time for a rebuild. But how do you sell, as you pointed out earlier, Popper, to your fan base that you're going to really sell a lot of assets? I mean, Fedor Gordiev, I expect to move too. But beyond that, what are you going to do? You've got a first-place team in Guelph. I don't know how you start to dismantle all of it right now and just say it's been fun for half a year. The second half is really going to suck. Going back to what you said too about it being a seller's market, even before the unique injury, I think it was a seller's market. You're absolutely right. That escalates the prices for those that have the assets to sell. I look at the Eastern Conference. You mentioned the Sudbury Wolves. I think they see the window closing. Quinton Byfield's not coming back. They're finally getting maximum potential from or value from David Levin. I think that they've got a team that they feel as though they won't have, obviously, to compete in the next couple of years. So they want to do something. I don't know if they've got if they can do possibly enough to fill every hole, particularly in net and Sudbury. But I think I think the Wolves look to add. I think the Peterborough Peets are going to go hard at this deadline. And then you've got that intriguing team there in Ottawa. What happens? On the western side, Saginaw. I think much like Sudbury, they see the window beginning to close. They had a taste last year. They were one win away before they coughed it up to the Guelph Storm. They want to do it, and they want to make sure that they have as many 
rounds in the chamber as they can. I think I think Saginaw is going to buy big. I think London is absolutely going to be out there on the market to buy. I think the Kitchener Rangers are going to be on the market to buy. There are not enough premier assets in this league to fill the needs for all of those teams. So this is going to be about as interesting a trade deadline as the Western Conference is interesting this year with so little separation from first to worst. Yeah, that's why I don't think... Like, I'm not with you on Saginaw. I really don't think they're going to go all in the way that you think Drinkle will. Um, Peterborough's really intriguing to me because they've been wanting a good team for a while. They have it. Hunter Jones is back there. Really good offense, some high-quality scorers uh, in Robertson and uh, Sir uh, Dur Argatinsev. Uh, the team that, to me, when I look at intriguing, it's the London Knights. Everyone knows they're going to go out and get pieces. The question is, how many and how high of a price are they willing to pay? Because they have all the assets. It, it's There's people around London that have said that Dale will not be, or Mark and Dale, won't be outbid. That's the mindset they have right now. Tell me your best offer and I'll throw another second. Or I'll throw another third. Or I'll throw an third and a fourth. They're not going to be outbid for the guys they want. So it comes down to how in are they going to go? What are the prices going to be for those players? Because we together probably just threw out eight teams and four or five players. Some pe- some teams are going to be pretty disappointed or rather uh, questioning their decision making and whether it was worth it, whether it wasn't worth it come January 11th. I think Ottawa, if I'm James Boyd, you asked me that. If you were James Boyd, what do you do? I go out and get a third liner and a fifth or sixth defenseman because you don't mess with what's working. They are running a ruckshaw over this entire league right now, albeit in a, sorry, but in a, a weak Eastern Conference. Um, but I think you just add little pieces like that. Give me a grit guy, give me a penalty killer, and give me a D that'll take a shot to the face. That's exactly <laughs> what this, that team needs. Kitchener's going to be interesting too. I, like I, I'm all in. I, if I'm Mike McKenzie, I'm taking that mindset that Dale and Mark have. It's just, what do you want? Yes, this is who I want, and we're going for it. You have a goaltender. There's very few goaltenders in this league. Jacob Ingham has the fourth best goals against average, second best save percentage. Chips on the table. That's what makes this time of year so much fun in the Ontario Hockey League. Let's hear from a guy who has gone through a number of trade deadlines and not been shy to buy when he thought the time was right. And oh yeah, by the way, that guy returned from the NHL playing at the World Juniors right now. Could he come back to this man's team? Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds GM Kyle Raftus joined us at a recent game in Kitchener. It's an interesting season thus far in the West. Can you remember a time you've seen the standings this close? No, usually at this time of year, you see kind of, you know, almost in tiers. It's kind of that one to four, one to three. Then you get kind of that four to seven, and then it's kind of seven, eight, nine. And maybe one team's a little bit out of it at this point. But, you know, you you see a team, you look at Kitchener, the run they've been on, and they haven't even really pulled away from anybody. It's kind of wild. Like, you can kind of... You win all ga- every game on the weekend, and you don't really make up any ground. It's just about not losing ground right now. So it's I, I can't remember a time it's been this close. We were talking before the game, Kyle, that there was a time not too long ago that it was Sault Ste. Marie 9, Kitchener Rangers 10, which you just don't hear in this conference a lot. Fans in Kitchener were understandably losing their minds. What was that feeling like in the Sioux? You're not used to that either. No, I, I think for us it was kind of... We knew it was going to be a younger group. We didn't want to use that as an excuse. And then we kind of got off to a real good start right out of the gate. And I think it kind of raised that expectation. And it also kind of, you know, showed us a little bit of, 
you know, where we were at as a team. Obviously, Bailey Birkin came in in November and, and really calmed the group down. As you can, I don't know if you can hear from up here, he's very vocal. He's good with a lot of our young D. And I think when you start to see a little bit of that struggle with our group, we didn't have, like, we had one overage at the time. You got three 19-year-olds. It was a lot of guys kind of looking around for someone else to do it. And I think as a group, they've kind of really come together and started to believe in what they do and trying to, you know, preach and play the style we have. It's something that you can't dumb their game down and just say, hey, survive out there, let's get through it. It's, you want guys making plays and kind of continue to develop, and I think they got themselves out of it, which is good to see, especially in my position and through the coaches as well. You mentioned Birkin. He's one of a handful of moves you've made already this, this season. You're never scared to make a move to benefit the hockey club. Where do you view this year for the Greyhounds? Because it's an organization that doesn't really rebuild. It just kind of retools, and you guys are always in the mix. Yeah, I think for us, it's whenever they talk about deadline moves, a lot of times you see it as it's it's OA and 19-year-old driven. And as I say, I said, we don't have a ton of those guys right now. So I think for us, it's going to be, you know, can we improve the group for the second half? And then, you know, wh how does that lead into next year as well, too? Because I think for us, I don't think there's going to be one move or two moves that are going to say, hey, we're, we're going to benefit in the second half and let's see where it gets us. I think for us... It's going to be the mat, you know, the maturing process for our young guys, that 01 and 02 group, which is makes up the bulk of our team. And, you know, we have a 17-year-old captain, and it was because he deserved it, not because there was other egos or it would have been easier to give it to an older guy. It was kind of a spot where we were happy with where our group was, and it's about kind of seeing where we can kind of build from there. And I think we talk about rebuilding. We didn't want to just go into it and use being young as an excuse because I think that's easily done, but... At the same time, with the graduation we've had over the last little bit, it was kind of something that came on us. So I think for us, it's just going to be how, f how much can we get out of this group here and can we tweak anything at the deadline because definitely we'll be looking at that as well. You talk about graduations, and Chris and I were also joking a little bit at the beginning of the game. It's kind of cute to see Barrett Hayton still on your team roster. But when you look back to the summer, Kyle, you can never really predict these things. How surprised were you that he wasn't back with your club? I, I wasn't surprised that, it, you know, right out of the gate, he wasn't a part of things. Like, it, you know, he had a great long look last year, didn't get into a game. I knew they wanted to have a look at him this year. It's kind of, it's it's that tough spot where you're really happy when you're turning guys pro early. I think it's always easier when you can have guys around for five years and kind of get used to them and, you know, you have those veterans right out of the gate. But at the same time, it, I, I think it helps your program moving forward. And I think it's something that that's what we're here to do too. So I think it's, you know, when, when Barrett Hayden didn't return to us to start the year, we weren't going to go out and replace him. That's just not something that you can do. So it's kind of a, an easy out of, all right, we'll see what we have with the rest of our group. And I think from that, you've seen some guys step up in the, you know, the Ty Carches, the Tanner Dickinsons, um, you know, Cole McKay, Yarmer Pitlick, that maybe they wouldn't have that chance early. So hopefully we can kind of benefit from that in the second half. Do you expect Hayden back after World Juniors? It's it's really hard to say. There hasn't been a, a lot of communication in a way of this is the plan for the okay. year. I think it's gonna. Be, they've always kind of taken it one game at a time, and obviously everyone's familiar with the move they just made and him going to World Juniors. So it's it's hard to say right now, to be honest. When when they do send him to World Juniors, though, do your eyes just bulge out of your head, being like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, you know why <laughs> you want to be patient with it because it's a great experience for him too, and and he could very well go back with them. But yeah. at the same time, that's you know. It kind of coincided with the Taylor Hall trade, which yeah. I think everyone's very knowledgeable of, and he, he hadn't played a lot lately, so I don't know. We'll have to see. It's going to be a good thing one way or the other for us, and if not, it's great for Barrett. So, yeah, you know, we're happy for him either way. Chris used the word retooling before, and I think that's a great way to describe your organization. We chatted with John Dean earlier this year when we were up in Sault Ste. Marie, and I wonder, is there a template 
that you sort of have in mind or in place in Sault Ste. Marie that you bring in a coach to fit that template? Because it just never seems like the team loses a stride no matter who's behind the bench. I think each coach is his own person. I think there's obviously, you know, when we talked about even bringing my first year, we had Sheldon Keefe as our coach. We go to the conference finals. He gra- he leaves with our, we basically had to replace the entire coaching staff. And it was something interesting enough as we go to the finals in Drew Bannister's third year, a lot of those players had been drafted before Drew even was hired. So it was a kind of a situation that you want to have a coach and coaching staff that have their own personality, but there's obviously a style and a player that we are attracted to and like to kind of develop within our organization. And we want to make sure that we kind of don't just abandon that, whether it's, you know, you have a rough month, you know, maybe it didn't go well in the playoffs or whatever it is. You don't want to just right away kind of say, let's got to blow this up, change what we're doing well. And I think for us, it's you want to stay with it, stay competitive with it, but at the same time, have an identity. Because I think that's the, when you see an organization usually in flux, it's because there's not that identity. And, I, I you know, whether it's a snide comment to me or, or not, it. I always take pleasure when someone watches a minor midget game and says, that's a Sioux Greyhound out there. And I, I think sometimes it's sarcastic, but at the same time, we take some pride in that as well. Sheldon Keefe and your predecessor, Kyle Dubas, Toronto Maple Leafs. Is this just the factory there in Sault Ste. Marie, Kyle? Yeah, there's definitely a Sioux South there with the blue and white now. But, no, those guys have put in a lot of work over the last few years. They obviously have a great relationship. And, uh, no, it's an exciting time for them. And obviously it's a big stage for them as well, too. So it's kind of cool to see them kind of mature up together through the the OHL, the American League, and the NHL, because you don't see that too often. Still a relationship with yourself in those two? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's hockey's a small world, For and sure. anytime you can pick people's brains, it's they, they always kind of commented as soon as they left, junior changes so quickly that yeah. they kind of lost track a little bit of the players on that side of it, but definitely it's it's always good to pick people's brain, especially at the, the highest level. We were just talking with Adam Dennis a few days ago after getting the general manager general manager's job up in north bay you're he's a young guy you're a young guy here in kitchener mike mckenzie a young guy i'm sure i'm missing a couple others but how challenging is it as a young guy as a general manager in this league when there's a lot of gms that have been around for quite some time what he means is what do you say when mark hunter calls yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) you know you don't answer it's interesting yeah it's it's a it's a tough way to navigate because i know i know as a fan base the sioux is very similar to kitchener in a way that they look at two teams and say hey this is a great fit this is whether it's they have too many four this would be a great and sometimes you can call that team and they're just no we're not doing that and it could make perfect sense in your head and (laughs) you know we 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 try not make too many deals but at the same time you want to improve your team and sometimes that's a navigating that is a lot of relationship based and it's not necessarily always you know your best friend you're dealing with but yet you have to keep kind of keep that professional relationship with everybody and you know everybody always wants those win-win-win deals that's great for the player great for both teams but at the same time, you, you know, you have to do what's best for your organization and the player that you have as well. All right, real quick in a one-word answer. I know we're up against the, against it, but I want to ask. Through those phone calls, this year's trade deadline, active or quiet? One word. I think okay. we've always tried to be active. So yeah. I think, what about uh, as a league, though? You think it's going to be active? I think it will be. I okay. think it's going to be a little bit slow, usually around that silver stick American Thanksgiving. There's yeah. that one big deal. There wasn't that this year, but I think as soon as you see that one, I think a lot of them will kind of filter in after that. So it should be noted that Kyle Raftis joined us during the Rangers-Greyhounds game just before Christmas, second intermission. His team was down 2-1. to one. 
The Rangers scored to make it 3-1, looking like they had their 11th win all wrapped up, and then the wheels fell off. The Greyhounds explode for five to win the game and send the Rangers into Christmas on a losing note, and Raftus pokes his head back into our broadcast booth as he's leaving the arena in Kitchener and says, that was me. I was the turning point. <laughs> you got to love the sense of humor. I love it. That, like, First of all, I went over to him as the game was going on in the first intermission and said, do you want to pop over for a chat? Yeah, no problem. So he walks over, real casual. We do the interview, and then he throws a little shade there. Is this? I was the good luck. How's the good luck? And <laughs> hey, Kyle, anytime your team is in town and you want to be good luck, you can pop on for an intermission anytime. We're always happy to run into these faces around the rinks. We're getting set for a game in Erie tonight. Happy New Year from ours to yours. Uh, remember, you can find us on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL at underscore Chris Pope, and we've got some email address thing too. Farwell and Pope at gmail.com. It's pretty simple. Our last names with the word and between it. You're saying that because I should... My New Year's resolution for 2020 is to remember the email address. If you can't remember it, I tried to make it as simple as possible. Lord knows you can't set up an email address. I had to do it in a hotel room. I'm Farwell. (laughs) And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.